Welcome back, everybody. This is Alistair Wilcock with the RevOps Podcast. Howard Brown is out today, uh, leading the charge on all things revenue science, but I am super excited to have Scott Stauffer back with us, the CEO founder of Scale Matters. Scott, how are you doing? Welcome back. Doing great, Alistair. How are you? Good to be back with you. Um, very well, thank you. Now, for the audience listening in, if you didn't catch our last episode where we had Scott, you know, just some context, since Scott, I'm going to you know, to drone horn here for a little bit, but you are somebody that understands KPIs. You understand the metrics of businesses. Look, you've taken a company public. You sold another to strategic partners. You've had different financial buyers. You've had many that have worked, even one that didn't. You lived in the trenches of entrepreneurship and building and scaling and exiting companies. I think you've had like a 14X average return on equity invested. You got a 91% IRR track record. Like it's it's very impressive. So first of all, Congratulations. Thanks. But really want to pick that brain here today and dive into you know, what what is working now when a lot of our peers in the industry are they're scared, they're uncertain. And when they're scared and uncertain, what does everybody turn back to when they're trying to figure out where the bottom is of a market? They're going to turn to their Excel spreadsheets. They're going to turn to all of their KPIs. They're going to start building dashboards left, right, and center. But... There's a lot of numbness around that when you can't take the insight into an action. And the more gun-shy an executive becomes in these markets, often the worse their decision-making. What do you say? I say right on. Uh, you know, data can be your best friend. It could be your worst enemy, I mean. You know, our, our view is that in the current environment we're in, where there's a ton of focus around extending runway, being massively capital efficient, right, which is a complete sea change from where we were two years ago, the companies that are going to be most successful in this environment are the companies that are best able to leverage data to identify the points of inefficiency or the points of friction. Right, because the the problem is, I mean, everyone knows they've got inefficiencies, but just too many companies don't have great visibility on where the non-productive spend is or where the inefficiencies uh, in their engine are. But you know, our view is that one of the best things you can do is put some energy into building a legitimate data and analytics infrastructure to help you surface the inefficiencies. Because what will happen, you know, if you don't really know where these inefficiencies are, at some point the board, mostly coming through the CFO, will say, well, we just have to cut, right? I mean, we you got to cut 20%. And if you guys can't figure out where, we're just going to start lopping off stuff sort of haphazardly, right? And, of course, the fear of that, which is legitimately borne out in many cases, is you start cutting into the muscle. And so it's critically important that companies become very good at leveraging data to sort of know with precision where the points of friction, where the wasted spend is, because then you can surgically remove it and, it, it, you know, and then you're just much better off. And you talked about the numbness or lack of actionability with a lot of this data. And in our experience, it, it's really because, well, well, two reasons. One, the data integrity or hygiene of the data in many of these companies go to market tech stacks is just palpably bad, right? And, and so there's no point to really analyze or try to make decisions off of data that just isn't legit data. 
Uh, and there's a whole bunch of reasons this exists. Certainly, one of the reasons is because many of these early and growth stage companies, you know, haven't done a particularly good job putting the tech stacks together to begin with. I mean, this is fairly sophisticated IT, and yet most companies, the first people that implement it is the first salesperson or the first marketing person, right? You would never ask a finance person to be the implementer of a, a financial system, so to speak. Um, you, you would expect someone who, who's, you know, professional at that. But, but most of these companies on the sales and marketing side, you know, it's really amateurs that have put these tech stacks together and it shows. So, so that's part of the reason why the data is flow. There's a lot of integrity hygiene issues. The other part is, you know, in this world, unlike a lot of worlds where there's data, a lot of the data is generated by the way humans interact with the tools. <laughs> Most specifically, the way sales staffs interact with the CRM. And if there's not this sort of rigor and discipline and consistency uh, across the sales organization, then you'll end up with all kinds of variability to the data. So so first issue is the data itself is often uh, suspect, um, w which gets in the way of good analysis to find the friction and inefficiencies. But the second issue, and, and then I'll st stop on this point, is that most of these companies don't have enough context to surround their data and context is what makes stuff actionable. And when we talk about context, it could be the context of comparing actual performance to plan performance, right? Because if you think about a plan, it's really the plan is a company's way of codifying their assumptions behind how they're going to get to their goal. And if they don't do plans at a particularly granular level, then there's no way to sort of measure actual performance at a granular level and have any context with whether it's supporting the assumptions or not. So plan is context. Time, right? Trending, period over period. Uh, that's all context. Uh, causality, you talked about that in a different um, um, uh, context in our earlier conversation last week. But, um, you know, if, if you've got all of these conversion rate metrics, how do you know which one is impacting the rest of them, right? Because it, it is a, you know, lead to deal process and you're going to have six, seven different conversion rates. Uh, how do you know which ones are um, uh, the cause, the root cause issues versus the derivative issues? And how do you know the relative impact? Like, is, is the fact that our website conversion rate from website visitors to uh, demo requests is at 0.8%. Is that hurting us more than the fact that our meeting show rate is 75%, right? Uh, without understanding the relative impact, that kind of context, these things are just numbers. Yep. And, 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 and that's why management teams become numb because when they're just looking at numbers, it's kind of like, okay, well, where do we focus? Right. And it's an issue of not understanding where to focus their management attention because they don't have the context to guide them. And I think, you know, as I, as I think of that, Scott, one thing that pops to my mind on context always is let's think about the salesperson here in that scenario and the sales leadership where they're saying, well, you want me to grow the company? Do I have enough? And I love these conversations where they go, capacity or quota coverage? And then they try to reverse engineer all of that as a key metric to be able to say, well, look, I, I don't have enough people. We got to add more people because I got churn rates and all of that. 
But what they don't really know is the demand, and they don't know what that is across all the funnel. They don't know what it is. But but let's just stay on that quota piece for a second here. This is really the right good example. If I set a quota, you know, if we're both reps, Scott, and I said, hey, we, you know, here's your quota, you know, million five a year of all ARR. Another guy would say, well, here's a million over there, because one's a senior person, one's not, and that's what they get. Um, and then we say, well, we're, you know, we're, a, you know, let's say $150 million company. We're trying to scale out. We got multi channels. We're going to new areas. What do they often do? They take that rep and go, well, you have, you know, Southern California. You got another one that goes, you got New York State or something like that. Or maybe somebody's got the banking industry as, as a target they want to go after. And they go, well, there, that's plenty of opportunity there. They should be able to crush their number and hit their quotas. And yet the quota is a completely immaterial number to a business and to a rep. It's how you calculate some comp, sure, ties in there, but it's got nothing to do with planning. It's got nothing to do with capacity in the business at all. What actually needs to happen is shift off the quota narrative and look at those sales reps and say, how can I actually give you the smallest possible amount of accounts to go pursue that hit the core ICP of where we want to go. And by narrowing that as much as humanly possible, you actually drive better selling motions, you drive better marketing motions, you drive better efficiencies because you aren't actually trying to sell to everyone everywhere at any given time. So there's immediate savings there. But more importantly, a better conversion because you created this scenario where you've, you've bucketed very tightly where somebody needs to go. So I'll give you an example. Let's say we got our rep in, in New York selling the financial services. Well, even there is a, you know, you're talking a dressable market that's in the hundreds of billions of dollars, right? You go, well, they're, they're never going to get to it. But if you gave them, say, there's 20 focus accounts that we know fit our ICP as a company, we then are going to look at the addressable market within those accounts. So marketers and SDRs and others have gone and got good, clean data that says these really do fit. Like these are going to be good fits for us. We've done the competitive analysis. We understand where we're going. Here's who they are. And now I narrow that rep and say, okay, well, what's your capacity to sell into those 20 accounts? And then we establish what that quota is based upon that capacity and the other supporting teams that come around it. And you know, the more that companies and CEOs can break down and target their sellers into a very precise selling motion. They're going to lower their cost of acquisition numbers, cost of sales, and other numbers inside there. They're going to lower their marketing costs and increase their conversion and better line up their demand gen assets into that all the way through the funnel. But if they just kind of do, well, sell financial services in New York, they, they, they won't get anyone. They'll be outgunned, outmaneuvered, outmarketed, and outsold relative to competitors that are, that are laser-focused. Then I, my other piece I'd add to people is be relentless at always reducing that. Every quarter, sit down and go, how can I actually give even more targeting in there? And then as people hit their capacity, as reps will, where you, you take the bottom 25% out all the time and you're funneling that into a general bucket, where every new hire is being fed off the bucket. And so they're coming in with instant tie-in to the right ICPs where they need to go, as opposed to let's hire a bunch of sellers and hope that they can go penetrate some mass market and I'll light up a bunch of channels and hope I can spend enough on Google AdWords to get there. 
Yeah, I think that all makes sense. Uh, to me, there's two, two real points you're making there. One is focus for the reps. Uh, and, and I think just focus in general is, is something that all companies could do better at. But, uh, but I think the, the point about quotas and the way uh, so many organizations sort of use that in the planning process today, it, it, I think it's a big mistake. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of view quotas as some arbitrary metric to manage compensation, sort of like what you said. And part of the problem is it, it's kind of a lazy way of planning. Right. Um, if if you really want to understand a, a a rep's capacity, you need to understand the activities that it actually takes to get a deal done. Yes. So, for example, I mean, if let's say a typical customer requires twelve touches, right, and then all these different, you know, fifteen minutes spent here or there on prepping for the next meeting, on coordinating schedules, et cetera. Uh, you know, we, we have a, a rep capacity planning model we use with our customers that basically is activity-based. And, and then you understand with these various steps, how, how many first meetings do we have to have, right? How many first meetings with prospects do we need to have to, that will yield one deal? And if you understand all those conversion rates and then the time spent on each of these steps, you actually can build a legitimate Here's what a rep has the the time capacity to be able to do, you know. And this isn't meant disparagingly, but you know, a lot of uh, sales leaders aren't necessarily, um, you know, terribly analytic, right? Uh, in terms of their background, but just a lot more rigor around that planning would be beneficial to companies, you know. And again, it makes a big difference whether the rep is effectively hunting or whether they're closing. Uh, right. And, and so on large enterprise uh, motions where you're expecting the rep to be doing a lot of the prospecting work to get you into the organization and then permeate through the organization, you can model a lot of revenue based on rep headcounts. But in other organizations where the sales folks really only come into play sort of in the last third of the overall buying motion, you know, your plans and models need to be driven much more by what your investments on top of funnel activity are going to be. Yes. And a lot of companies still don't get, still don't get there though. Well, no, and, and, you know, and it's hard. Uh, again, everybody's under a lot of pressure right now. So I, I would say, you know, I, I empathize with people in that capacity, but you are right in terms of the analytical nature of it. At the end of the day, like, but if I, Make up a scenario, and I, and I apologize, everybody. If it's on a whiteboard, this would be a lot easier to show, but I'll, I'll attempt to verbally do it, right? I always think you, you got to start with what what is the goal, right? A goal, by the way, is individualized. So, you know, if you, again, if we put this, let's use the sales personas, this one everybody I think can resonate with fairly easily. So you got a rep. Everybody wants to go achieve it, uh, uh, something in their life. Maybe buy their first home. Maybe they're, you know, something like that, right? Okay, good. So that's that's the goal. I said it takes so much earnings. Now, what do they have from the company in terms of their ACB goal? Okay, let's call that, let's say it's 950 grand, right? And then you want to say, well, where are you starting the year at? That's X number. Okay, and you think you're going to retain so much business? Yeah, I'm going to probably try to retain, let's call it 90% of that. Okay, so I know I already add another, you know, 
95K on top because I'm already going to lose 10 out the bottom, right? Then I would sit there and go, okay, well, how much pure growth do I need to do? What's my average deal size in that? Then they're getting granular on the numbers, the number of deals required, which means I got to have so many proposals at, let's call it stage B or C, depending on how they set up Salesforce, which means I got to make this many calls, which means I got to have this much engagement on a week. And, and I know that broke down really quickly down to some very basic activity metrics, but that's where KPIs become actionable mm-hmm. because it tells us the pipeline needed the actions that need to happen, not the metric. The metric is simply helping us see the action that needs to happen in order to get there. Because you know, people often ask, what was a great seller successful? Salespeople often struggle to answer that question. Most, I think, sales leaders really struggle to answer the question because they don't know the corresponding activities that made one route great, one that didn't. And then there's, uh, there's behavior pieces to tie in, but that's true. And then if I expand that and say, well, that's sales, ask that same question of marketing. As they go through the same process around assets that are working by stage, how many of those hits do they need? To your point, if it's 12 touches, does my marketing team understand the touch points across the funnel stages? Are they looking at those as buyer tasks and going, are those things happening? And if they're not, light up your marketing or to go say, well, those are the action-based engagement metrics that we got to make sure it happens to convert a prospect. And, and there is, you know, I'll, I'll give two, two examples of this to get the marketer lens now. Data that they can track and use. Most people will use ROI calculators fairly late in the selling process selling to Scott. I got him engaged. We're like stage four or five in my sales force. Time to show the financial impact and close this deal. Well, the trouble is, as I'm sure if you've ever bought anything, Scott, I have as well. I'm like, I'm not waiting until the very end of a proposal to figure out if this is going to benefit my company or not. Right. I've done that way, 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 way earlier. And if you've bothered to actually gone through that, say around stage two in the sales force lineup of five stages, I've done it myself. You're not out the game as a vendor. So how do you pull that forward? How does the marketing team ensure that that conversation and they are helping sales have a financial-led conversation much, much earlier than they might instinctively want to do? Because the data tells us that benefits the buyer. And when you have higher trust with the buyer, you'll convert more. So I think marketers are sitting on, again, the action-based metrics against content Sales leaders are sitting on the targets and breakdown of personal goals into actions that drive engagement. And that's where we get over KPI numbness. We start to get into the real world of, well, is somebody actually doing something to grow my business right now? Here's what they need to do. Yeah, agreed. And you know, one of the things we try to encourage our customers to do is, is really get good at metrics and activities that are earlier in the funnel. Right, because there's still time to react. I mean, too often, you know, you're down to a forecast meeting where the salespeople are talking about their stuff that's in commit and best case and stuff. You know, and by that time, if you don't have enough to make the number, you've got a very limited tool set of what you can use. Yeah. 
uh, right? I mean, maybe a discount or something like that. But if, if you if you think back earlier in your sales cycle, you know, having a good understanding of what you need at the very very beginning part of the buying process in terms of activity counts, et cetera. That data is actionable because it gives companies time to react still. Absolutely it is. Scott, we're going to run out of time here. I'm going to share one more thing and then let you have final word. Kind of a tip and trick that even, even I've used throughout my career, but certainly shared many times with people on how do I, beyond the metric and KPI that we just went through, how do I spot check my business? How do I spot check my selling motions, because we're talking largely the GTM side here today and sales and marketing and their effectiveness. And yes, I can look at the balancing of stages across my funnel. People should. Yes, they should know the CAC ratios, the golden ratio, rule of 40, and all the numbers that we need to know in order to drive a successful company more than ever right now. But it still comes down to deals. And in just a few minutes, I think anybody can actually suss out if a deal is real or not by asking actually four basic things. One, on any opportunity, is it actually tied to a corporate objective of that company? Because right now, if it's not, people aren't buying for fun. They're buying is this going to shift and transform and change their business in some way, whether I'm going to create revenue or I'm going to save money in some way. If I can't figure out how that ties into a corporate objective, I'm going to have an issue in selling. Two, do I have the right sponsorship at the right level? Or did I just work on my one single champion and I got hope that they're going to light up everybody else in the company effectively? If I'm not tied in, it doesn't always have to be C-suite, but senior buyers, you got another flag on the deal. Three, is it going to be hard for this company to achieve the goal that they set out of their corporate objective? If it's too insurmountable, then you're probably not going to get the sponsorship to get this done right now because... Yeah, the, the window of transformation has dropped down tremendously. When you have hard times like this, people are looking for impact in quarter often. They're not looking to be sold on something that's going to make a difference 24 months, right? So that's the struggle on the timeline. And then finally, can we quantifiably measure the impact of what we're doing? If you can't quantify it, your odds of getting there are really hard on a deal. And that's in particular in sales and marketing, Often you see a lot of qualitative noise in Salesforce. You see a lot of qualitative commentary of things. But no, if it's not quantifiable, the impact that we're going to make to that business in a way that they believe it, I would suggest it's not going to be there. And I say that's like a three, two to three minute test that anybody can do across any aspect of their go-to-market organization and go, is this stuff real or not? And it will just help us get off of KPI numbness and noise and volume-based metrics, the reality is you're trying to narrow down and focus relentlessly on the most important deals, reps, marketers, segments, and ICP that are going to actually translate to revenue right now. Final word is yours, Scott. Bring us home. Uh, notwithstanding your very valid point that people aren't looking for stuff that's going to help them from two, year two years from now versus the current quarter, I do think it's critical for companies in this current environment to think beyond the current set of deals in the pipeline, because otherwise they never get off that hamster wheel. And at some point, if, if you're going to drive to a more efficient growth model, it means you're actually taking action to change how you do business. It, it's not just 
you know, getting a little bit more religiously focused on these the, the current deals and, and doing that spot check, which, by the way, I think is tremendously valuable, right? But but you've got to get very focused on understanding your motion and understanding it in, in tremendous detail because that's what gives leaders the dials to turn, right? And if, the, if they aren't investing to kind of have a, the, the right dials to turn, they're really never going to change the pattern they're in. A- and the whole point in this sea change from growth at all costs to efficient growth is you have to change the patterns that you're in. I love it. I could talk with you all day, Scott, on this and patterns and everything else. But you know, if you want to reach out to you and connect, what's uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, Scott at scalematters.com. Uh, that, uh, that's pretty solid. And, uh, you know, believe it or not, I actually, I, I at least read every subject line of all emails. Well, that's, that's a fantastic thing. That's a whole other conversation, but we'll leave that for today. Uh, <laughs> Scott, it's been a blast. Keep up the great work. I, um, you know, on behalf of all entrepreneurs out there, we need more people helping, you know, execs right now really scale and understand what to measure and what to use in their business. So thank you for all that you're doing for everyone. And, uh, it's been a pleasure. For those listening in, please remember to like and subscribe and check out our new dial-in number with questions you can ask myself and Howard. You can reach us at 323-540-4777. That's 323-540-4777. And we'll see you back next week on the RevOps Podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Alex.